Good morning. Glad to be here. Where are you from? Uh, Hawaii. Can you believe it? And I am so excited that you have cold and we had so much snow in Seattle. So I'm so sorry for you, but I am so happy for me. I ran out and I laid down and I made a snow angel and I frolicked in the snow and I, if you can splash in snow, I did. I totally did. Well, we're so happy to be here. And we've been in Hawaii, I think you saw us a year ago last summer. And I can't believe it's been that long. We're in our second school year in Ekbalo in Hawaii in the Southern Point. So, um, uh, were you gonna show that? Do you wanna show that real quick? Yeah, you could, uh, right after I, I share and then you can go. Um, anyhow, um, Lou Engle, he had followed us off to the most southern gate of the United States of America in South Point, Hawaii. We literally have to drive an hour and a half to go get groceries. Uh, we are so remote that they don't even have internet, you know, cable. What is that nowadays, right? Uh, but we are like way out. And um, so as we're out there, we're pioneering a school, a house of prayer in the most southern gate, and uh, a community, a discipleship prayer school. And so as we're there, we're on a coffee farm. About last year this time, they were talking about plowing under this coffee farm. Like, okay, that's it. We're just going to shut the gates on this. No more. And that scripture in Luke, I think, 13, and it said, give us one year. Give us one year and see if it bears fruit. So we interceded on behalf of that, and the Lord was saying that he's going to pour out his abundance, that it's going to have a bountiful harvest. We began praying. Meanwhile, you know, Luzek followed us to Hawaii, gave us a lane to run in. Hurricane Lane comes to Hawaii. It's like a Category 5. And here we are on the very southern tip, like the very southern tip. We're praying. We're interceding. Oh, God, have mercy upon us. And that hurricane came, and as it came towards Hawaii, it started to slow down. It started to kind of just pause out there. And you look at the radar, and here's our little South Point, Hawaii, tucked and nestled. And you see all the massive hurricane all the way around us. And this little, little, little tucked under the shelter of his wing, that was us. So we're praying for a bountiful harvest, right? Well, this, uh, this last September, the harvest was so much that we began literally praying at Balo, Lord, would you thrust forth laborers into this harvest? Now I understand the fields are ready for harvest. We had so much coffee, cherry, we were like, oh, Jesus, we prayed for a bountiful harvest. Now we need bountiful laborers. So in the meantime, we've uh, married off Chantel. She got married last September. And uh, this uh, three weeks ago, our daughter Victoria just got married. Two weeks ago, we moved into a new house, and uh, oh, new to us. It was abandoned for a few years, so it had a little work to do on it. And here we are. Uh, oh, yeah, so we're traveling on tour with 21 people from Iqbalo, Hawaii, and here's Rob. It's, it's cold here. So let's watch that video, and then I'll, I'll talk in a minute. I'm here down in the southernmost part of the United States of America. It's South Point, Hawaii, and there is a house of prayer right down here, a community of radical young believers being fathered by my best friends, the Halls. Rod and Marion Hall have been with us about 12 years. 
and they're the best fathers and mothers that I've ever seen. They disciple young men and women, bring them into wholeness so that they can fulfill their destinies. And it was years ago that Rod got a vision and God spoke to him about 100,000 people being sent into the mission field. Little did he know that I was calling for the same thing at the same time. God has brought us together here for the last seven years in the Ebola House of Prayer. We've been praying laborers into the harvest field. And out of it is a movement coming that we believe staying in Christianity. 80 million souls being saved and 100,000 missionaries. The word Ebola comes from the scripture, pray the Lord of the harvest to Ebola, hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. And I believe here in the southernmost part of the United States is a lighthouse of prayer that affects the whole nation. We want to invite you to be a part of a prayer fire and change history with friends, brothers, and sisters that dare to believe that the future belongs to the innocents. Come join us in church, the Ebola House of Prayer. So I just want to share a few minutes of uh, a vision. Why are we doing what we're doing? Um, 1989, that's 20 years ago, right? Wow. How did that happen? Oh, 98. Okay, there we go. It was still 20 years ago. <laughs> I remember at Bible school, they said it takes 20 years to get, you know, for God to to prepare the preacher, and we're going, no way, 20 years, that will be old by then. But it's, it, what the deal is, it takes 20 years to, to, to get the message instilled inside of you, so that you're not just preaching words, but it's something that you carry. So 20 years ago, I'm walking on the beach, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, and I'm just, I'm having a, a, a week where the Lord said, take this time and pray. Like you would take your time to work, and I'll take care of your finances. You go and you pray. And the middle of this week, I'm, I'm out on the beach, a long, deserted area, and uh, kind of walking along and praying and just, you know, passing the day. And, and then from one moment, it goes to, to that. And to the next moment, I'm looking down. On, I'm caught up in a vision, and I'm, I'm looking down on the earth, and I'm hearing... 100,000 laborers, sent ones, sent into every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And these are not just short term. They're not just, they're not just going to see if they want to do a, you know, a, a three-week mission trip. They're going, they're not looking back. It's like the Moravians. You know, when, they, when they went, they packed their belongings in a coffin because they knew they weren't returning. They were going into the, into the harvest field to to, to Bring a harvest to bear fruit. And so I'm, I'm declaring 100,000, Lord, raise them up, 100,000 from this nation and send them to the nations of the earth. I get back to school the next week and, and the leader of the school gets up and said, I was in a prophetic conference on the West Coast and, and the word that was released was 100,000 laborers, sent ones. Our missions director at that school at that time, he was in... Uh, Southern Mexico with David Hogan, similar, you know, very similar experience, and the same number, 100,000. So I've carried this for 20 years. I've been praying into it. Lord, send laborers, laborers into the harvest. 
So uh, thus, when it was time for, uh, for us to be Iqbalo, the word Iqbalo is, is a violent thrusting forth. When Jesus cast demons out of, out of the demonized, it's, that's the word. It's, it's thrusting forth. When, uh, when the Lord says, pray the Lord of the harvest to thrust forth laborers, it's a violent thrusting, sending. It's not just, I think I might go do a you know, two-week mission trip. It's, no, it's a total interruption of your life. And say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And getting, we're praying, heaven come. Well, when heaven shows up, guess what happens? You go. You're going to say, Lord, where is my harvest field? Is it, is it, the, is it work where I work? Is it, at, is it at the high school? Is it in the college? Is it in Africa? Is it in Zambia? We were just in Thailand with the team. 98% of Thailand doesn't have a clue of the gospel. And there's lots of people there. We were in Bangkok, Thailand, and I, I walked around every day and, and talked to the just loving, nice people, but they're totally in darkness. Lord, send laborers into this harvest field. It's the constant cry of my heart. And so the vision that we carry is to see this accomplished. Well, how do you raise up an army of 100,000 to go into the nations? You need a lot of help. You need, it's not, it's not a one organization. It's not one denomination. It's not just one school. It's the body of Christ that, that has to catch the vision for what God's heart is for the nations. Yet... We've watched those go come into, I was, we were in the Brownsville Revival. We were part of that for years. We watched young people come in and get totally lit on fire, full of zeal and passion and, and power, and go out, and guess what? They get out there about a year, and they shipwreck because they're carrying offense. They have relational issues in their, on their team. They have baggage that they haven't gotten fixed or healed of or rid of. They have character issues that they've never dealt with. So we've raised up this school. We have a school in Pasadena, Iqbalo Pasadena. We pioneered that for the last five, six years. Now we're in Hawaii doing it again. We're also starting a school in North Carolina this fall, as well as Bend, Oregon this year. And the vision is to see multiple schools, and it's not... A, not a, a, a large school of a thousand students, but it's multiple schools of 30 to 100. Because when you keep it in a small number, you can, you can actually, you can deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with. The character, it's character, integrity. Because what I want to see is I want to see, the Lord said, go and do what? Go to all nations and preach the gospel. What? He says in Matthew, go to all nations and make disciples. Make disciples. You reproduce not what you speak. You reproduce who you are. So we want to raise up these young people that, that have lifestyles of prayer, lifestyles of passion for the Lord, integrity, their character is flawless. I want to see them 20 and 30 years from now still going strong, still married to the same person, loving God, full of fruitfulness in their lives. That's the vision that we carry, and that's, that's what we're, and it's, 
It's work. I'm telling you what. <laughs> we have a community of 50, 60 people in, in, in Nalehu, which is N-A-A-L-E-H-U. You try to, you look at it, it's like, they have a lot of vowels in Hawaii, but all of the words are like that. It's, uh, but we have a community there, and, and we're just doing life together. We, uh, and we're, we pray, we worship, we, but we're, uh, we're in their business, and we're, we're, we're dealing with, the, uh, with honesty and integrity. We're dealing with, you know what, and there's some places in the, in the, that I've seen is like, well, you have a porn problem, that's okay. You, you're, you're gifted, it's okay. You can still sing. You can still lead. And we're saying, no, let's talk about that. Let's get that fixed. Let's get those things right. I want to see you productive and, and full of the Spirit of God and not just using your gifts. I want to see you carry the presence of God. This morning I was laying there in bed and I was awake, but it was, you know, six o'clock and, and I'm just kind of, I like to wake up slow and my wife's, she's like, Boing, you know, and so I'm laying there and I'm just kind of coming to and, you know, thinking about whatever I was thinking about and uh, all of a sudden she gets up and she turns on this light, it's like right above my face and it's like this blaring light, ah, and it, it's, that's just, I don't know, I don't know why I said that, except for that's you. <laughs> Where was I going with that? <laughs> Tell you what, I got two things. I don't want to take, I know Brent's going to preach, and I want to hear it. But I got two statements I want to talk to you just momentarily about. Tell me what you think about this. This is a quote. I got two quotes, one by Ian Bounds and one by somebody I ha can't remember. But I will, I will research it for next time so I can give proper uh, um, yeah, credits. Every generation, now this is one I don't know who said it. You can research it and tell me. Every generation is responsible for the evangelization of their generation. Maybe I said that, I'm not sure. Every generation is responsible for the evangelization of their generation. I'm talking to the church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Each generation, we are responsible to, to fulfill what he's told us to do, his commission. We are responsible for the evangelization of our generation. And I'm telling you what, there's, a, there's half the world out there that, that is waiting. They're waiting in darkness. They're looking. They're hungry. The harvest indeed is ripe. The harvest is plentiful everywhere you look. Your generation is waiting. And what's your part in that? What is your part in fulfilling that, that commission? Now, the, the quote that I do have, E.M. Bounds said this, hardy, heroic, compassionate, fearless martyrs must be the men who will take hold of and shape a generation for God. Hardy, what's that mean? Not wimps, courage, full of courage, strength, heroic. You know, we watch, we like the Avenger movies and the you know, these adventure-type movies. We like to watch these. Why do we like to watch these kind of movies so much? 
You know, the hero, they're a risk taker. They're willing to go, you know, they go fight whatever battle. They, they do incredible stuff. They're, they're risk takers. Heroic. God is looking for people who are not afraid. You're not going to be led by fear. You're not going to be moved by the, the fear of man. You're going to be a risk taker. Willing to lay down fearless martyrs. Willing to lay down your life, your agenda. To answer the call of God. To be the one in your generation who impacts your generation for God. And that you may not be the missionary in Zambi, but you better be supporting them. I'm raising up an army. In Iqbala, we are, my vision is to raise up an army of passionate, fearless, hardy, heroic, compassionate ones who will go. And I'm also raising up an army that will support them as they go. I want to send them and I want to support them and I want to, I want to do all we can to reap the harvest that is that is overabundant in this generation. So that's our vision. That's why we're, what we're doing. Um, and it's day by day. It's grueling at times, but it's also, it's like I wouldn't want to do anything else. We, need, we, you know, we live in Hawaii. It's like we meet people all the time that they've worked their whole life. You know, they're in the 50s, 60s, and, and their reward for their life is now they live in Hawaii and they, they get to watch the sunset. And it's like, I did not move to Hawaii to retire. I moved there to, to pioneer, to plant, and to build, and to establish something that is going to touch the nations of the earth. I told the Lord early on, I'm yours, Lord. Any place on the planet, anywhere you want me to go, I'll, we'll live in a tent, we'll live in a hut. It doesn't matter. We'll live in a palace. It doesn't matter. My heart is not for this world. My heart is for your kingdom come. Your will be done, and that we would actually accomplish this great commission. That we would see a generation that actually reaches into the darkness of, of the Buddhist world, of the, is, is the Muslim world. Of I'm telling you, we have to do this. We get to do this as, a, as the body of Christ. And I want you to consider what is your part? Where are we going with this? Because uh, it's not just for the few. This is for all of us. So. Thank you for having us. We love you guys. We, we so appreciate Brent and Sharon, your friendship, and, and your, your church. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, we have firsthand account of what Rod and Marion and their team does and it is absolutely amazing. I uh, am on their board of directors, and um, so I'm very aware financially where it's at. I'm very aware of a lot of where it's at, and we're also really best friends with these guys, and uh, just love them dearly, and we do life together, so it's awesome. Um, but, you know, we do need to support. Um, I grew up as a missionary kid uh, on the mission field. My parents couldn't have been there if no one supported them. And we were 100% support fed. And a lot of people don't think of missions as much now as they used to. Uh, but it is the mandate of being a Christian. It's a mandate. It's not, oh, I think I'll support if I want to. Actually, it's a mandate that we have to do that. Now, Windward itself, we actually support. We tithe on everything that we do. Everything that comes in, 
we, we go into the world and we, we support with that. We tithe and sometimes we over, over tithe. A tithe means a 10%. And uh, so everything that we do with Windward is, is also, yes, it's for the house, but we tithe on everything. You're tithing so we can tithe again to missions and ministry. Um, and at the same time, you can make donations through Windward for Ekbalo. For Rod and Marion, uh, personally, as missionaries, or Egbalo, together, they co-labor, obviously. And you can make, uh, from Canada, you can make uh, your checks out uh, or credit cards, um, to make it to Windward, but put in the little note for Egbalo or Rod and Marion, if you can't remember Egbalo. Amen? And, and what we do is when we have people giving in, we don't take a percentage off, even though credit cards, it costs us a couple extra percent, but we don't care. We give 100% of that straight to, uh, to Ekbalo. We're not going to take 10% to, to, for our accounting and stuff like that. No, we give 100%. When it's missions, we go after it. Amen? Amen. Preach that gospel of the world. So I just got back from Mexico. Um, absolutely amazing what God is doing. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. We had such an amazing meetings uh, with our main head center church there, uh, Fuerza Agape, and uh, Pastor Adonis and Carmen and their family, actually all their family served, but uh, we also did a leadership meeting on Saturday uh, as about 120 of their leaders were there, and, uh, and then a youth evening meeting where people gave their life to Jesus, young people gave their life to Jesus, and then the Sunday, more people gave their life to Jesus. It was just amazing. We saw miracles happen. It was awesome. Uh, we're also setting up crusades for the end of April. If you want to do a missions trip, we're co-laboring uh, and uh, doing a missions trip, uh, evangelizing in two completely different cities in the state of Veracruz, where it was literally 32 and humid, 32 Celsius, not Fahrenheit, Celsius, and humid, and uh, absolutely going to be powerful uh, April 22nd to 29. If you want to get involved, let us know. You can pay through Windward and Canadian funds, and uh, you're going to come down with us, and we're going to evangelize two complete cities and stadium crusades, and in the days, we're out on the street going after it and going for it. Uh, absolutely going to be an amazing trip. It is every time we do it. Amen? Um, but, you know, it's interesting because as we're driving past one of the, the towns that I don't usually go past, and Pastor Adonis uh, says, oh, this is where Pastor so-and-so, he's actually, so we're like a Windward Network, which is formed, we're Windward Church, Windward Center, it's the main hub, that's what you guys are, but out of this is formed this network, and we weren't actually trying to form a network, it's just sort of formed on its own. And so we're sort of catching up, trying to make web pages and different things and trying to make it all, how is it going to work? So this whole network in the last few years is massively grown. And uh, that's how we have churches in Russia, Mexico, all through South America, ministries, not just churches, but ministries. And Agbalo is part of that, too. And, uh, and so it's created a responsibility that we mother and father this movement, all of us work together for the movement of what God wants to do. And so we're driving past, you know, uh, one of the cities, and Pastor Adonia says, yeah, you know, Brent, this is uh, where Pastor so-and-so, and, -so, and I, I know past that pastor, he's come to our conferences, and, and they're under the covering of Forze Agape. So here's Windward. We have Russia. We have Pastor Ilya and his wife, and they have six churches rapidly growing, now a new one in Pakistan, all under that. We cover this. And then we have MPJ and Ed and Carol Barron and MPJ, and they send out all these 
missionaries that are planting churches and doing things as well too. And in Mexico, we have Pastor Adonias, who we've worked with the longest. We've actually been working with Adonias and Carmen for about 18 years now, and, uh, but not as a network. Anyways, so they've grown. When we started, they were about 50, 60 people in the church. We started preaching kingdom and, and honor, culture of honor, truth, integrity. And I'll tell you, a culture can change. The Mexican culture can change. So can Canadian culture change. You know, Mexico is always known, well, mañana, they're late. They say 10 o'clock, that means 11, right? Well, not, not when the culture of kingdoms established. It actually changed. These guys are on time, like rapidly on time. Makes me happy. It makes me have to be on time, which I love being on time. So here's Windward Network. Windward Center, you guys. Windward Network. Here's our Mexico for Agape, which somehow has the legal rights to plant up to 10,000 churches under this covering here. Well... I know we have churches under this covering. I go to them and I minister from the main church. Our main church is about 1,000 people, and then they branch out. Instead of making a bigger building, because we just built that building not that long ago, helped them build it, 4,000, and the night we opened it, not everyone could fit in. So what we do now is we just plant more churches within 15, 20 minutes away. And uh, anyways, um, so we're driving past this town. He says, well, Pastor so-and-so lives here, and he's got two churches. I'm like, oh, I didn't know he had two churches. Well, actually, he's got two in this city, but he actually has 60 around the area. I just went, hold it, run that by me again. 60? So we just went to over 100 in the network covering ministries and churches. Okay, guys, you just, oh, well, I'm coming to Windward, it's a church. No, it's actually not. It is the church, but there's two words for church in Scripture, ecclesia, and the gathering is called the Oikos. We're a gathering of people with a governmental structure, which is what Ecclesia is, built on apostles and prophets with Christ as a chief cornerstone. This thing is rapidly growing and rapidly accelerating. So you have no right to come in and think nothing's happening. Because if we believe nothing's happening, we're actually believing the lie of the devil. And we're actually stopping advancement in your life. I walked in these doors this morning, and a lot is happening. This week, Sharon and I are up to northern Alberta, uh, high prairie. I think it was minus 45 or some ridiculous thing. We're up on Thursday. We fly up. We're doing a marriage conference, and then we have a marriage conference coming up here. And then I get back next week, and I'm off for a couple days later because a new church is, is wanting to be a part of this network in, in, uh, in Washington State, another new one. Okay, let's go visit them and say hi and see what they're looking for. And it doesn't matter on the size of this gathering. What matters is on whether or not we understand that we're impacting the world. You being here is impacting the world. You giving and tithing in to missions and ministry into this offering plate is impacting the world. It's part of our destiny. It's part of the glory of God. I don't know what it's all going to look like, but I know someone who does. And his expectations are really, really high. Like really, really high. He actually believes we can do things that you and I can't even grasp that we could do. He already believes it. And his believing isn't just I have, I trust it's going to happen. He actually is all knowing it will happen whether you and I know it or not. So we need to get into the all-knowing power, the all-knowing authority. Amen? 
John chapter 14, verse 12 to 13. John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus, he who believes, that word believes means to trust, impeccably to trust. He who believes or trusts in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, what we're doing here on this earth is to actually bring glory to the Father. And through that, it brings glory to the Son. It's an amazing thing. What we're called to do with a responsibility as Christian believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to be the one going international like Rod and Marion said. But you have to grab the understanding that what you're called to do is bringing glory to Jesus and the Father on this earth. So if we do nothing, you can't really bring glory. If you don't serve, how do you bring glory? Well, I'm praising him. No, you, you could be like a clanging gong, as the word says. Because literally, you cannot bring glory without doing something. Believe and trust in him. We have to trust in him. When we trust in him, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Through us trusting in Jesus Christ, we now have the authority to ask, and it will get done. But you see, ask is a doing word. Ask isn't like I'm asking, but I'm not expecting. Asking is actually expecting for something. When my kids were young and they came up to me and they asked for a chocolate bar or for a cookie, they didn't come up not expecting to get one unless I had just told them, you don't get any dessert because you didn't eat your meal. But even still, they come up asking with an expectation. I ask God with an expectation. I trust in him, and I ask with an expectation, and I won't live life without the expectation. Because I live in the expectation, I go by his promises, and his promises will give us. I'm just tired of trying to live life and do religion. I'm just tired of, tired of trying to live life and just do church. <laughs> Where we come and we ask, but we don't get. Well, that's not the God I know. I ask and he gives. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That word name is anoma. It literally and figuratively means authority through character. Listen. It means a name. With authority through character. And whatever you ask in my name, in my name, you live in character is correct with character, right character. You get to carry the authority. Not to be a character. To live with right character. Right lifestyle. Right living. Character releases authority. The problem is his character releases authority on both sides. That's why we'll see some sinners, people living in sin, doing great things because they've released their own free will into a sinful lifestyle, and that sinful lifestyle has released a level of the devil's authority. Now, he doesn't have authority on this earth and heaven anymore, but he does have the ability to receive authority that you have that you give to him through sin, through a lifestyle of sin. 
And so, what, but at the same time, if we know Jesus Christ as our living Lord and Savior by his name, uh, we actually get to use his authority if our character is good. But so many people try to live a mediocre character but are expecting the authority to be great. And I'm here to declare that we need to love righteousness and hate wickedness, period. Because if we don't hate wickedness, then we're going to have a character that's not 100% righteous. And if it's not 100% righteous, you will never carry 100% of the name that has authority because our character is off. Jesus has authority over heaven and earth. The devil can have authority by your own free will. I just finished saying that if our free will is to willfully sin, then we are giving authority that that we have been given by God through free will, and we're giving it over relationally to the enemy. Jesus cast out devils. He healed the sick. He walked on water and commanded storms to be at peace. I like that authority. That's a way better authority than, than doomsday of hell. It's a way better authority than, than I'm going to sin for a moment or a second or five seconds or a minute or two or five minutes or whatever. I'm going to sin and, 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 and flood me with that joy, and then afterwards I'm going to feel terrible. What kind of authority is that? It's terrible. What it is is we are, our, our actual heart's not right with the Lord, and we're allowing the, the joys of this world to overpower the joy of the Lord in us. Jesus asked us to do the same. Cast out devils, heal the sick. I'll go for walking on water. How how about that? Walk through the walls, as Justin said today. Wouldn't that be something if I just walked right out that wall? Oh, oh, it must be like a fake black door with a balcony out there. Hmm. Matthew Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Let's start there. We all know this story. Most of us know this story. Matthew 8, starting in verse 23. Now, when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea. And so the boat that was covered with the waves. So the boat was covered with the waves. What does that mean, when the waves cover a boat? Sinking. How many of you have been in a boat, and the waves or the water came over the edge? And so this tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But where was Jesus? He's asleep. Verse 25, and then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Imagine Jesus in a beautiful, calm sleep because he's in authority of the presence of his Father. And he's sleeping, and all of a sudden, people are shaking him, and he's like, I don't want to be woken up. And they're shaking him, and a crack of lightning happens, and, and he opens his eyes when this lightning hits, and like 24 eyeballs are staring at him in complete terror. 12 sets, 24 eyeballs, no glasses. I don't think they had glasses back then. And what do they say? Lord, save us! We're perishing! Verse 26. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? These men, these twelve, had already seen dead rays. They've seen miracle signs and wonders. They've seen all this stuff happening. They just hadn't seen a storm come under submission of authority. Authority. 
furious storm came up, threatened to sink the boat. Jesus was in the back, unaffected. Finally, out of desperation and fear, the disciples woke Jesus and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They had a conversation with Jesus. What do you and I call a conversation with Jesus? Prayer. Okay, so let's just go a little step farther. They had a prayer to Jesus. They had a conversation with Jesus. Lord, save us. Let's call it prayer. They came to the last remaining thing, person, individual, that they felt could save them. And they came and asked, save us. Actually, didn't say save you, Jesus. They said save us. And then Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Or why don't we reword it a bit and say, why do you pray to me out of fear? Why do you talk to me out of fear? Why do you pray to me to solve the problems that I already gave you authority to solve? What if the disciples had come to Jesus and they had said, hey, we're doing good with the storm, but we just need a little bit more strength. Could you lay hands on us and just impart a little bit more for us? Jesus probably would have woke up and said, yeah, let's do it. But that's not what happened. And he rebuked them. You of little faith, why on earth are you coming to me out of fear? Do you think that I have been teaching you all this so you could actually live a lifestyle of fear? No, I am teaching you the authority and the power that you carry, and you're actually to calm the storm. I'm sleeping in the back of the boat because I know you're in control of the storm. But now I realize you're not. Well, of course, Jesus, he had the peace that passed all understanding. He's in the authority of his Father. But can you imagine if people were waiting, Jesus was waiting, heaven, all heaven is waiting for our authority to defeat the storms in his name, to bring glory to him and the Father? Jesus got up and had to rebuke the storm that the disciples should have rebuked. And immediately the storm calmed and became peaceful. But Jesus actually wanted his disciples to calm the storm. That's probably one of the main reasons that he was sleeping in the back of the boat. He's not worried. His disciples got it. Testing us and also sleeping in authority. Maybe Jesus was sleeping and... God was just watching to see if these disciples got it or not. It's an amazing testimony. The disciples were facing an impossible situation, so they went to Jesus in prayer. Jesus rebuked them for having little faith. Again, I just, I was preaching this in Mexico, and it just kept coming out this new revelation that we have got to live with an understanding of the authority of the faith that we have through Jesus Christ. This was the disciples' journey. And 
they needed to exercise the power. It was the disciples' journey. Yeah, Jesus had to get to the other side of the lake, but the disciples had to get to the other side of the lake. It was their journey. Oh, well, it was the journey of Jesus. No, it was actually the disciples' journey. Jesus was co-laboring with that. Oh, the disciples were co-laboring with Jesus, but Jesus was co-laboring with the disciples. Well, no, but the disciples were co-laboring with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Your journey, my journey, we co-labor with Jesus. And he's co-laboring with you and me. You can't separate the two. The storm was an obstacle to them fulfilling the purposes of the Lord in their life. The storm was the obstacle, and I would probably stand to say the storm was there to see if the disciples could do it. Any mountain that obstructs us, any storm of opposition that comes you know, in the way of us accomplishing God's purposes, if something is in the way of you or I accomplishing God's purposes and plans, we need to speak with authority, and literally that storm must submit and be removed by the authority of God's promises. Moses stood on the banks of the Red Sea. Here's another one. Standing on the banks of the Red Sea. What should Moses and the people do? You've got Pharaoh and the whole army coming after him. You've got the sea in front of them. You've got death by the sword, and you've got death by drowning. What's your pick? Well, what they should have done is Psalms chapter 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. So they had death by sword, death by Red Sea. But really, they should be shouting with, to God with the voice of triumph. Why? Because God had delivered them out of captivity. He delivered them. He gave them food every morning. They didn't have to work to eat. They didn't even have to change their shoes. Like literally, I know it'd be depressing for some ladies that you only have one pair of shoes in your closet, but just think of it, they're new every day. Ooh, maybe you could ask for a change of color or style, I have no idea what'll happen. Your clothes didn't wear out, imagine that, I don't even know if they had to wash, they didn't have much water out there. Wouldn't that be amazing? No laundry needs, no shopping needs, I know you like to shop, but... Shout to God with a voice of triumph. But what did Moses and the people do? Remember, death by sword, death by drowning. We know that Pharaoh's army is on its way. It's stammering. Horses and chariots are coming. Why? Well, the Egyptians, one, are their slaves, were. Two, they plundered the riches. They took the Egyptian gold and silver. And so here they are. Well, they can't get across the water. Most of them can't swim well. And they surely can't swim with gold and silver in their pockets. So what happened? Well, they should have been rejoicing with the voice of triumph. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. But no, Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. Because Moses joined with the people, and they cried out to God in fear. And what did, what did God say in Exodus 14, 15? And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of like Jesus in the back of the boat. You have little faith. God's saying, why do you cry to me? Are you serious? I rescued you from these people. Maybe you were feeling a little guilty because you weren't on the good, righteous pathway. 
You're on your way to the promised land, but you started to rethink about Egypt. Maybe it's because you, you, you forgot my promises to you, called the promised land. Maybe, maybe you forgot the understanding that I gave you, the authority over Egypt. Maybe you forgot that understanding. Why are you crying out to me when I have already given you the authority to overcome every obstacle that you, that's in your life? Oh, God, help me. Why? I've already told you I'll never leave you or forsake you. Use the authority that God gave you, that he gave us through Jesus Christ, and stretch out your, sorry, use the authority, I'm talking what God said to Moses, but it was implying, use the authority that I have given you, stretch out your hands over the water and tell the people to get going. Why are you letting a river get in your way? And why are you letting the enemy put you into fear? Matthew chapter 8, 26, remember what, what said? Why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? The point is not to avoid prayer, but rather through communication with God, we discover his plans and purposes through prayer. We must find the heart of God. If we act presumptuously ahead of God, we will also find ourselves in a mess. We need to catch God's heart, hear what he is saying, and see what he is doing. When we pray, we need to hear what he is saying and see what he is doing and advance forward into it. We cannot live from heaven toward earth until we have met and know heaven. <laughs> oh, we teach all the time heaven on earth. Well, what does that look like? I don't go to heaven and find out. Why don't we meet heaven? Well, how do you meet heaven? Well, Jesus is a good place to start. Holy Spirit's a, a really good place to continue. This is a really, really good foundation to base it out of. Oh, heaven come. Our one prayer, we're asked to pray in all of Scripture. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Well, how do we do it? No heaven. Know him, because he's in it. It's his whole surroundings. God worked in the life of Moses those 40 years to give him a shepherd's heart, the heart of God. God's authority has been given to each of us to accomplish his will and establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus' name is above every name by which all things must bow. God has, God has commissioned us to destroy the works of the devil. So if he's commissioned us to destroy the works of the devil, there should be no devil working in you. God has commissioned us to heal all sickness and disease. So there should be no sickness and diseases affecting us. Now, let me explain that because there's a lot of different theologies on that one perspective. How I look at it is I say, you know what? One, I'm not going to speak that I have a sickness or a disease. I'm not going to come into agreement with it. But if I have the flu, I got the flu. But either way, its effect on my physical body will have zero effect on my spiritual. Matter of fact, that attack will pump me into greater levels of the spiritual. And you know what I noticed? 
any sicknesses, just can't seem to hang around me very long anymore. And it's almost like the enemy has learned that the more I attack you, the stronger you get. It's kind of like you're building an antibody against my, the devil's ways. <laughs> Amen. You see, sickness isn't going to kill me. Nothing's going to kill me. I'm going from glory to glory. Oh, maybe some vehicle will run me over. I don't know. But God's going to call me home. I'm not giving the enemy victory of that. Are you kidding me? I refuse. There's no way I'm going to live under the conviction that the enemy has more authority over my father in me. It's just no way. So I came back from Bogota or Russia a few weeks ago, whichever one it was, and, and I'm like, man, I can't afford to get sick, and all these people had the flu over there and the plane, and people are, ah, ah, the guy beside me is like hacking and coughing. I'm like, oh, oh, trying to breathe from the opposite direction of this guy. You know how much I travel? I mean, seriously, you know the options of getting sick? Very high. I'm picking up my bags in San Francisco, uh, looking at the measles warnings, and you know, if you're starting to feel itchy, and, and this and that, for the next three weeks, and call the doctor, and I'm thinking, I'm not calling the doctor, I don't need a doctor. Forget those measles, they don't belong in my body. I started rebuking the sign. I know the U.S. is trying to be nice and warn us. I'm not dumb. You get sick, you get sick. But what I'm smart in is what my Bible tells me, that that sickness will actually make me stronger than make me weak. If it makes us weak, then we submit to the authority of the sickness. I refuse that in Jesus' name. And so wouldn't you know, I'm burnt out and tired, and I'm home, and my wife was sick with the flu and, and a little bit, and, and I'm feeling like, wow, I actually got a scratchy throat. Oh, get that out of my mind in Jesus' name. I'm not coming into agreement of that. I said, God, I thank you for good health. I started praising him for good health. Oh, I got up, took an extra vitamin C. I started praising him for good health. I fell asleep praising him for good health. I, I was praising him that I didn't have any sickness or flu in my body. You know what? I know what my body would have done. I would have woke up halfway through the night just done. But no. I slept through the night like a baby. And I woke up in the morning with nothing. And I lean over and my wife's getting better. Like she's being healed at the same time. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep going after this. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a real person. Our, my body looks different than it did 40 years ago, 35 years ago. I know when I go skiing with my kids, I used to wait for them, and now I'm, <gasps> wait. Let me go first so I can stop, and you guys ski to where I am. You don't go first because I can't ski that far. I understand. I'm, I'm changing. You know what? doesn't hold me back. Forget this sickness holding us back garbage. It's just ridiculous. Be real. You're sick. Go to the doctor. Get it checked out. But just go to God first. God is first. He's number one. Doctors are number two, okay? That sounded bad. Like number one and number two. That's not probably a good bodily function, right? So anyway, sorry for the doctors in this house. It's not what I meant. <laughs> 
God is, I just thank the Lord we have beautiful Christian doctors in this house that go after God first. God's first, and then we go get checked out by the doctors, let the doctors confirm that God's doing a miracle, or let God work through the doctors to see the miracle happen. Either way, it's going to be miraculous, and either way, you can never live under the understanding that you're going to die by a sickness. Because if you know Jesus Christ, when you die, your body might die, but your spirit never will. And you will breathe your last, and you will go from glory to glory. Just live in glory here. Remember, glory is victory, not defeat. Glory is victory in Jesus' name. God has commissioned us to destroy the works of the devil. That's our commission. Destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Don't agree with the works. Destroy. You know, it's not even, you know what, I'm willing to accept that for them over there. You know, that's fine, you know, but it's not going to happen in my life. And no, 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 that's actually not the commission. The commission is destroy the works of the devil. First in your own life and then in everyone else's life around you. Go after it and destroy it with the authority that you can calm the storms. God has commissioned us to heal all sickness and disease. I, that's what I go after. I'm not going to believe that, oh, you know what, it's okay for you to be sick. Or, 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 or oh, that just terrible theology. Well, God sent the sickness on me to get my attention. Good night. If, if God's got to do something like that, I mean, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But to get your attention, are you serious? I think he wants your attention before you get sick. I think he wants your attention now. Not when you're crying out in fear, but when you're actually speaking and commanding the storm to leave your life and your body. And then the others around you will sleep in the back of the boat because your storm should never affect the ones around you and your storm should not affect you. We need to live lives that cause natural impossibilities to manifest into reality through the power of the Most High God. We're, let me say that again. We need to live lives that will cause natural impossibilities to manifest into reality through the power of the Most High God. We're to live lives. You know what? I'm tired of the wind storm thing. I live in a trailer. Our, our fifth wheel RV right now. Yes, we have a furnace. I was up most of the night last night because when the wind gets blowing, the trailer gets shaken. And my watch, I have an Apple watch, it sits on my bedside table. And when you tap the table, it comes on and it kept coming on on its own last night because the trailer was shaken. I'm like, trailer, quit shaking. You don't need to live in fear. trailer was probably trying to tell me, well, I'm trying to rock you to sleep. Well, I'm out there rebuking the storm. I came in this morning. I said, I literally sat down and I said, Lord, I'm praying through this about him calming the storm. I said, Lord, I actually don't want this cold wind anymore. Just stop the, the wind warnings that we've got. And my phone goes, bloop. And my, my, my weather app said, 
wind warning canceled for Abbotsbury. And I'm like, oh, 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 guess what? I canceled your wind warning. No, I'm just kidding. Let's all stand. Because the reality is, is whatever storm, it's there for you to silence. You see that storm, the wind and the waves, Well, obviously, Jesus had the authority to rebuke them, to tell them to be quiet, and they immediately settled down. That word rebuke at that moment is scold them like a child, a defiant child. And the wind and the waves of the physical world were being defiant at that moment. But whatever caused the storm, the disciples were supposed to stop it and silence it. They weren't supposed to pray to Jesus out of fear. Ask for more power, more authority, absolutely. But don't come crying out all your prayers. Help me, Jesus. I can't stop this addictive attitude. Help me, Jesus. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I have no power to stop it. I have no... Silence! What are you talking about? You have no power to stop it. This sin just keeps getting me. Help me. Give me strength. I've given you all strength and authority to overcome the storm. Quit asking me and quit speaking that you can't do it. Because when you get into the attitude mindset that you can't do it, that you don't have the authority in my name, when you get into that attitude and mindset all the time, you're actually empowering the issue. And the only thing I got left is to take you home maybe. I don't know. Of course, God is all-powerful, almighty. He can do whatever he wants to do. But he wants you and me to understand the authority that comes from the tongue, a two-edged sword.